Welcome to Movements, the podcast all about volunteer service, civic engagement, and all of the other ways you can become involved in your community. All this week, we're taking some time to highlight conversations from the Georgia Tech Center for Student Engagement's Engage Symposium. And if you aren't familiar with what the Engage Symposium is, it's a day full of four conversations with a series of four interviews focusing on lessons in leadership with guests and GT alumni who have made considerable impacts as local, regional, and state leaders. We're taking the time to highlight all four of these conversations on the podcast because they all have various themes and topics that can be helpful to any listener along the way. We've also created an episode with clips from each conversation to give you an idea of what's in store for each session, which you can check out at any time in our most recent episodes. Today, we have the last session of the day, moderated by Sarah Strominger, and I will pass it over to her as she gave great introductions to both of our guests to kickstart this talk. We close out the symposium today with a conversation that is close to home at Georgia Tech. Let's learn a little more about our speakers for this session. Our student interviewer is Sydney Blakeney, a third year international affairs major with a minor in international business. She currently serves as the director of logistics for Move and is the developer and host of the Movements podcast. Additionally, Sydney serves as the president of Tech's Women's Club Volleyball and in her free time likes to listen to music and podcasts and to explore Atlanta with friends. We welcome John Stein, the Vice President for Student Life and Dean of Students at Georgia Tech. Dean Stein is completing his 18th year at Georgia Tech, having previously served as the Director of Success Programs and the Assistant and Associate Vice President and Dean of Students. Prior to Georgia Tech, Dean Stein held a number of administrative positions at various colleges, including working in residence life and housing, academic advising, and student affairs. Dean Stein has served as the Dean of Students at two other colleges before being appointed Dean of Students at Georgia Tech. Dean Stein's educational background is in psychology and education. He earned a BA in psychology from the State University of New York and two master's degrees, one in counseling psychology, the other in educational psychology. Stein's uh, professional interests include working with college students at risk, first-year student development, student mental health issues, and student leadership development. When he's not at work, Dean Stein enjoys spending time with his wife, Sue, and his two adult children. He is also an avid runner, having completed 34 half marathons and one full marathon, and enjoys kayaking. We also welcome Jen Abrams. Jen is a healthcare professional, Georgia Tech grad, and lover of all things sports, and a night in with a good book. She joined Piedmont Healthcare Corporation in May of 2019, and is focused on improvement of clinical outcomes and patient care in the inpatient and outpatient space, as well as a dedicated support of the radiology service line. In March of 2020, she was tapped to support the infectious disease physicians, leading the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. She is a 2017 public policy graduate of Georgia Tech, where she focused on politics and social and urban policy in her academic studies. Outside of the classroom, Jen was involved widely across campus from marching band to housing, student government to new, stu new student orientation. The daughter of two Georgia Tech grads, Jen considers herself born and bred a yellow jacket. Following graduation, she served on the board of directors for the Women's Alumni Network for two years and served one year as a member at large for the Georgia Tech Black Alumni Organization. In her free time, you can find Jen at any GT sporting event 
out on a run with her running club, or on her porch swing engulfed in a good read. This fourth speaker session will explore a number of topics connected to the larger question, what life lessons have you learned as a GT leader? So with that said, Sydney, I'll pass this conversation on to you. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you for being here today. I'm really excited to be able to talk to you more about leadership. And just to preface, the last few sessions that we've talked about have been um, kind of focused on more specific topics of you know, how to build a community of support around you, how to advocate and lead at the same time, and how to show people that you actually care when you're in a position of leadership. And I think in this conversation, we can kind of touch on all of those, but also just come to a nice conclusion for the day, and I'm excited to get that started. Um, so I think a great way to start would be to talk about your backgrounds, and I'll start with Jen here. Uh, we. We heard a lot about, um, in the introduction, you know, you work in healthcare, but I'm curious to know what motivated you to work in the field that you're in today. Awesome, thanks. Um, so I, in high school, I thought I wanted to go to college to major in psychology, actually. And then um, at one point, neurosciences, and always have been fascinated with the brain and just how we make decisions the way we do. Um, and it was probably uh, midway through high school, one of my cousins um, was diagnosed with colon cancer, and so um, we did all the research and lots of things, took her to really great um, facilities, and unfortunately, um, they did everything that they could, and she battled for about three or four years and passed away um, right before I started college. And so when I started college, I was a biochemistry major. I thought I wanted to um, be a doctor, and then I realized I don't really like blood, um, so kind of not exactly what you want to be doing. Um, but as I continued at my time at Tech and I began to major in public policy, I started to learn about the policy side of healthcare and um, really got into the field of what we call the social determinants of health and, and how we um, think about providing care based on the access that we have around us. And so um, as I got more engaged and more understanding how our healthcare system is built, I also began to understand the disparities that exist in healthcare, um, not just for the between um, those who are in a higher social class, but also between race and between gender. Um, and so most people who meet me, particularly my physicians who know that my cousin died of colon cancer, um, it's quite rare to find a black woman that young who dies of colon cancer. Um, and really it's not necessarily because it doesn't happen, we just don't research it a lot. And so um, I got really passionate about learning and understanding how to make sure that everyone has access to good care and everyone has a good understanding of um, how do you become educated about what's the best way to be healthy so you can live the life that you want to have. Um, and getting good access to healthcare isn't the only way to have the best life um, and to be able to live a happy life, but I knew it was a big step for so many people. Um, and I, I have asthma, and so growing up, just understanding how much that impacted my family, um, but being able to have the privilege to pay for medications is not something that everyone has. Um, so between just learning more and more at tech and then really having experience and watch my cousin go through really trying to get good care, um, it just pursue, pushed me to pursue um, a career in healthcare and learn and understand where I could get in, fit in, and, and make some differences. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story, and I'm sorry for your for your loss. But um, I do think it's interesting that it wasn't necessarily a linear path for you. That it, there was a pivotal moment that may have shifted your um, your end goal or your end uh, career to where you are now. And um, with that being said, what we talked about yesterday, Dean Stein, uh, you mentioned 
um, having a specific conversation that ended up motivating you to become the Dean of Students as well. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, well, my story is, you know, an interesting one in the fact that I, I don't think children usually grow up saying, I want to be a dean of students, right? That's not typical for that to be on the list of uh, careers or jobs that young people think about. Um, but as a senior in uh, college, at the very beginning of my senior year, I had an administrator, a dean, who pulled me aside um, that I had gotten to know over time because I was very involved on campus. I was a tour guide, I was working orientation and involved in a number of clubs and organizations and said to me, John, you really seem to enjoy what you're doing um, and you're good at it. I've watched you. And I said, really? And he said, yes. And he said, do you know that you can have a career in this? And I said, really? And he's like, well, look at me, like, this is what I do. And he said, let's have lunch, and we can talk more about this, and we did. And he opened the door and opened an option uh, and a possibility for me by talking about a career path, by talking about the different types of degrees that I could, advanced degrees that I could go on and pursue and stuff. And that was a pivotal moment. Uh, that changed everything for me in terms of how I thought about my future and the kind of job and career I wanted. But that lesson has stayed with me my whole career because what it has taught me is that the power of a conversation, the power of an observation, that as student leaders, you're in communication with many different staff with alum and others, even community members like today. And you just never know when something might really kind of spark your interest and put you on a path that you really didn't think, uh, even consider. And so I always say to students, really have these conversations, get to know people, you know, solicit feedback from individuals, faculty, advisors, administrators, alum, and others, and peers, because you just never know what it can lead to. Uh, it was, it's just a wonderful example. And um, boy, did it set me on the right career and path, because I have enjoyed every single day that I have uh, worked in this field. So That's great. Thank you. And I definitely agree. The power of one conversation can definitely have right. Um, and impact on a lot of students' lives as well. I think also, um, to add on to it, engagement while you're here at school is something that's pretty important and, and a nice step that you can take into, into doing that. I'm wondering, uh, Dean Stein, if you could elaborate on how can students go about finding maybe their niche or their passion through engagement, and why do you think engagement here in school is so important? Yeah, well, engagement is very, very important, and there's been enough studies and research done that say that students who are engaged, and, and I don't mean engaged in, in 10, 15 things. One needs to find one thing that they really care about, that they're interested in, and that they want to give their time and effort to. but. When you feel connected to something, whether it's the institute, an organization, a group of people, um, it motivates you. And, and that makes a difference. And so what I say to students is, you know, in the beginning, you may not really know what you want to do. And a lot of students start very broadly. They try a whole bunch of things. Jen is a good example of that, <laughs> someone who tried many different things. And then as time goes on, many then focus into a certain area. But 
you will know when you find the right thing because you will find passion and you will find motivation and you and more importantly you'll find enjoyment um, and then you'll have a holistic experience at college both in the classroom and outside the classroom and in doing that you'll learn more about yourself see there's a lot of learning that happens outside the classroom in these experiences and stuff and you'll learn more about your strengths and those areas that you need to work on. Uh, so uh, it is very, very important. Um, the other thing is it, it's good for your mental health to be engaged. Uh, an isolated, lonely student is not a student who's gonna be very happy. Um, and that's the student that I, I grow concerned about. Students who are connected and engaged are students in my mind that others have the ability to observe them and, you know, potentially see change over time, so. Thank you, I definitely agree. Um, I try my best to, I think I can relate to Jen when I first came here was trying to find what sticks, you know, trying to find what you're interested in. And you know, I found kind of some of my passions are leaning more towards service. And, and Jen, you talked a little bit more about service um, and some of the things that you um, sent me when we first began speaking, but, uh, one quote that you shared with me that I thought was pretty interesting was, uh, you can never live a perfect day without doing something for someone who can never repay you. Um, and I think that idea is just really important. So I'd love if you could take a second to elaborate on that um, and how that can apply to your role as a, leader, as a leader. So what is servant leadership? What is this concept? And how can students become more aware of it over time? Absolutely. Um, so that quote was shared with me by my basketball coach in high school. Um, it was the kind way of her telling me, you're really not that good to continue playing basketball, but you're a really nice person. And I was like, thank you, I think. Um, but really, she always commented that she's like, you're always looking to, to do something for someone else, which sometimes is good, but like in sports, she was like, I need you to take the shot. And I was like, I get it. Um, you know, I think that as I came to Tech and, and really pulling off of what some of Dean Stein was saying, I did, I was very involved in many things before I really you know, honed in and figured out what um, I wanted to be most focused on. And I would say the way that I started to figure out what it is that I wanted to be most focused on, as I learned and understood what it meant, what servant leadership means, I think um, many people can put the two words together, being a servant leader and understand that, you know, being a leader doesn't mean you're always at the front. It doesn't mean you're always the person being seen. But I think it's important to then make for yourself, what does it mean for Jen to be a servant leader, right? Um, and I think that that quote of, um, I mentioned that I like sports, and John Wooden was a famous basketball coach at UCLA, and he um, was the one who said that quote. And for me, um, I always think, you know, I don't need anything back for what I'm doing for someone else. And it's very important for me that um, I'm doing that. And I think, you know, one to touch a little bit on what Dean Stein said, the, the way that I found the good balance of how many things to be involved in was I'm actually an introvert, which most people would never guess, um, but I genuinely do not have any desire to go into a large crowd and like work the room. Um, but as I started to get involved, um, you know, I feel grateful that I, I was blessed with a leadership um, capability that I'm grateful for and I want to use and help with others, but then also learning in that servant leadership role, what did that mean? And so for me, it often means if you're going to be thrust into spaces where you're going to be a leader, are you bringing to light the people who don't get to be in that space? And so as I began to become more engaged, as I began to, um, you know, 
get more involved in different areas and ultimately student government was the thing that most people think I was, you know, heavily involved in. I always saw a lot of people, it was actually orientation um, that was the thing that pushed me along and I truly chose to be an orientation leader because I cried at Facet because I'm an introvert. And so people screaming at me when I get to college, I also didn't think I was good enough to be at Georgia Tech, but that's a, another story for another day. Um, it was really overwhelming for me. And so then some of being at Facet was being like, you know, not every student really likes the idea that you have like boom, boom sticks at 7 a.m. and that they're, you know, gonna be the most excited person in the world. And so I think as I, I wanted to get more involved, um, I probably don't think I would have articulated as well back then as I did now, but I think I really was thinking, if that's the quote that I live my life by, then what am I picking to do, um, and how is that quote being, you know, how am I living out that quote in the different things that I'm doing, so yeah. Yeah, I agree, and I think it, it comes from finding something that you're passionate about. I think that helps a lot with that process as well, um, and Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. But <laughs> at times, I think students can find it to be a little bit difficult to balance maybe something that they're passionate about outside of their classes with the track that they see their career and their major taking them. Um, and so, Dean Stein, I'm wondering if you have any advice for students who are looking for a way to kind of connect the two concepts um, into their endeavors in the future. Yeah, you know, that's a, a great point because I, I'm not so sure that many times you can actually connect the curriculum to the outside experiences. Sometimes you can. I mean, you know, there's many different examples here of organizations that, you know, one could easily connect to mechanical engineering and the kinds of things um, that they're learning and stuff, right? Hydraulics and stuff. But, you know, what I would say is the more important piece is connecting it to yourself in terms of your strengths, your interest. See, it, the more you learn about yourself, then the more you're going to be able to articulate in terms of, you know, a job interview and an, a career aspiration as to the lessons learned in that organization and what you contributed to it. So it's not, in my mind, it's not so much about making a direct correlation from what I study to what I'm involved in. And it, when that happens, that's great but it's more about what am I learning about myself, self-awareness, what skills am I honing, and then how did my experience in this organization or with this group influence me, what contribution did I make, and how did I help change something? How do I help evolve something? I mean, that's the more important piece, and if you can get a handle on that, I think you could have a really wonderful job interview with a, a potential company. I agree. Can, can I add something? Yeah, I think the other thing is um, sometimes, I mean, Georgia Tech opens a million doors for students. Yes. I think sometimes uh, whether a student's struggling or whether they're doing really well, at the end of the day, when you graduate from Georgia Tech, you're going to be above and beyond having a, a millions of more opportunities than you probably imagined and then more than some other students are going to have from other schools. Um, and sometimes I think students think, you know, I have to be involved in things related to what I'm studying, which I agree is not necessarily what you have to be doing, but also how are you taking what you're learning, giving and both getting from your organizations to what you're doing when you're engaged with your academics. And I mean that in the sense of sometimes students are really engaged with um, co-oping or interning or something, you know, in their related field. It doesn't mean, and I think most of us when we're in college don't think about the fact that when you get out of college, um, ideally work is not your entire life. Like you're gonna do things outside of work. And so I think a lot of students go intern and they're like, 
I end my day at 5.30 or 6, and then I have, like, things that I can do. Um, and so take what you learned at a club or in an organization and find a way, if you're living in a new city, is there something that you can get you know, engaged in that you learned about in the thing you're organized or um, you're involved with or you love community service. If you went and interned somewhere, um, you know, one of the things that I love to do is if I was interning somewhere, I would look to see if I could find um, a community service opportunity where I was living. I ran a lot of races in DC when I lived in DC. Um, and then I took what I learned in my different activities to just be engaged with the other interns in a way maybe differently than they expected. Um, just because I was like, I mean, this is what I love to do when I'm engaged with um, my peers at Georgia Tech, so why not try to find ways to gather some of that engagement with peers that maybe don't go to your institution, but are you're meeting them and um, getting to know them when you're in your different academic um, professional opportunities. Yeah, that's a, that's a great insight too. Um, I think something that I find a little bit difficult at times is um, I'm connected to different different organizations and whenever I, I try to apply to a job I have a hard time describing how that job will connect with what specifically I'm applying for if that makes sense so I don't know if you have any kind of tips for students on how to how to present it in the room when they're in our interview um, how to talk about the impacts that they have made in different leadership skills and, and how to write that on a resume I don't know if you have any insights on that <laughs> I can start. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, I mean, Dean Stein probably hasn't had to do many job interviews <laughs> as, as um, often as I have in the last couple of years, but um, yeah, I think, again, just touching back on what do you learn from the, the organizations that you're involved with and how can you um, relay that into some skills that you've learned, okay? Most students, that is something to think about if you're gonna get overly involved, you know, if it's on your resume, what can you pick up from that? Um, so when I was involved, I was really involved with the Office of Student Engagement, and so organizing things like um, MLK Day of Service and being engaged with when they would have the um, moves into the streets at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, it, knowing how to help organize an event when you're 18 to 22 um, will translate at one point in your life. It will be on a different scale, and even, um, I was telling Dean Stein this week, um, the opportunity that came up at work, although it was somewhat daunting to help with vaccinations, uh, you know, Dean Stein asked me, he said, that's big, but clearly your boss saw some, um, you know, some ability for you to do work. And when I thought about it, it would be like trying to run orientation, but you've never seen orientation before. And you have about three hours to prepare. And I mean, was it ideal? No, but at the end of the day, the point of orientation is getting students through the session and registered for some classes. And I got people through the clinic and vaccinated on the first day, and that's all I was trying to do. And I think you have to learn how to think about what you're learning in your different engagement. And then when you're preparing for a job interview, why you wanna make sure that's on those bullets on the resume and that you can speak to it when they ask those questions. Um, because if not, they're not gonna just pick it up without you pointing it out because they might not be as familiar with what those organizations do, yeah. See, and that's a wonderful example because, you know, Jen may have been surprised that her boss asked her to do this, but when she told me, I was not surprised because, you see, I, I know that talent is there, and I've witnessed that talent here at Georgia Tech. And so one of the things I would say to students, and like even with yourself, is you've worked very closely with Sarah and Dr. Stevens and stuff. You know, before that interview, I would have conversations with them after you've taken time yourself to think it through, to say from where you sit, what impact do you think I've had? What contribution? And let people give you feedback on that. 
because you may not see that and you may not uh, really know the side that they're seeing in you. And that would help you then be able to articulate that in an interview and stuff. Um, it's a lot of self-awareness and, and, and a lot of understanding. Um, most times we go into this believing we have to have the one or two big things, and in reality that's not really the case. It's kind of just saying, what role did I play in the organization? What contribution did I make? And how did I help to change something, to evolve something, to make something more successful, or to get something back on track? So. Thank you, that was really, really helpful. And I think those will be great skills for students to learn about too. Um, we kind of started out the session talking about you know, finding your passion and those sorts of things. I'm wondering if we can transition now into kind of any additional skills or um, concepts that leaders can put in their quote unquote toolbox, I guess, when they're leaving um, here. Jen, you mentioned something that was similar to mentorship um, and it was to, you know, the process of having a mentor is to help you enable and grow, but there's, a, there's another concept that you brought up which is called a board of trustees. And I was wondering if you can elaborate on that concept a little bit and why it's necessary to start building that now while you're in school. Absolutely, so um, when I finished at Tech, I um, started my first job actually still at Georgia Tech working in development for athletics. Um, and so the first year, I guess, that I was an employee, I think, maybe, or I guess it was like the within the first year. Um, Todd Stansbury, who's our athletic director, he and I chose to teach a GT1000 class, which is very fun, and, and Todd shared the idea. We were focusing our class on um, leadership and for these, these incoming students, and Todd brought up the idea of a board of trustees, and so when we were working with the students, um, I learned a lot from him and learned how to articulate well the idea that um, you will have mentors in your life, and I think Dean Stein can give a great example of how to discern between someone who's a mentor or someone who's a friend, um, but really a board of trustees being people who um, you can keep, not, I don't want to say in your back pocket, but you keep as folks who if you, if I, Jennifer, had a board to like be about my life, um, you know, who are people in your life that you need to keep in touch with, and maybe they're not always a mentor for you, but they're really someone who can help guide when you're needing to make decisions about certain areas. Um, I think for a lot of students, we often think about if you're going to go to graduate school, but if you're going to be trying to move up in a career, if you knew someone in that field, could they be a part of your board of trustees to help you understand how to move um, in that field? And I think that, um, you know, there are people who you don't have to call all the time or text regularly or always get coffee with, but they might be someone who they know that you might reach out when you're needing advice or seeking wisdom, um, and you don't have to be best friends, but there's someone you're maintaining a relationship with um, to, to advise. That's what a board of trustees is, to advise and help you position yourself the best um, to fulfill whatever mission it is you have as an organization well, and so as a person, or whatever it is you think you wanna do in life or a certain area, who are the people you need to kind of stack up in your board of trustees to say, I know I can call on this person um, to talk through this with me and give me some advice and wisdom as I'm thinking about making some decisions. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting concept and you were gonna talk about, you know, how do you distinguish between who's a friend, who's a mentor in your life? Yeah, yeah many years ago uh, when I, early in my career and I was much younger, um, someone helped me really understand um, by telling me the true definition of a mentor, that a mentor is someone that tells you what you need to know, not what you want to know. 
Um, and, and, you know, that, that is the truth. A true mentor is someone that's going to pull you aside and give you the feedback that you need um, and do it hopefully in a way that doesn't, you know, devastate you but kind of is honest with you. Whereas friends many times don't do that. Um, you know, they, they kind of know a boundary, they know a line, and they're a little bit more hesitant. And so if you really want to mentor, you really have to find someone who you're going to trust enough that they're going to have your back, that they're going to both praise you, but they're also going to give you some critical feedback and some things uh, that you should be thinking about and understanding. Um, what I like about the trustee piece is that um, over time, that kind of shifts from having one person in your life to having a group of people. Because the reality is that as we progress through careers and get older, things change. We change, our sense of place may change, we may not be in the same you know, state or whatever. And so you know, things evolve over time. And so that fluidity of having other people um, that you can either go back to or that are currently in your life it makes great sense in my mind. And you just draw upon people that, you know, can really help you reach the goals. They have your back. Um, but they also, you know, help you grow. I mean, that's the important piece. We don't want just yes people that tell us, oh, you're doing a great job. You know, we need people to really help us grow and understand how we can even be better in, um, in what we do. So. I agree. Creating that network is something that's really important. And um, it's something that I, I'm doing without even realizing that I'm doing. Just, you know, creating different friends along the way, having different conversations with people and, and realizing that, you know, they can bring a new perspective in uh, in that time. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just to transition to another skill for leaders that may be a little bit difficult is when you are in this position of leadership, um, it may be challenging to, to manage this large group of people because of maybe differing opinions with people on your board or or you're trying to make decisions to make everyone happy, but sometimes you reach a point to where you feel like you can't. Um, and so I'm wondering if you have any advice or lessons or tips um, uh, for students that are trying to overcome this challenge in their leadership. And we'll start with Jen here. Mm. Um, <laughs> not everyone has to like you. That's always a good thing to think about. Um, I think when you're a student leader and you're going through um, whatever it is that you're going through, you know, you're, the likelihood of you making everyone happy is truly slim. Um, but I think that really learning to understand, um, as a leader, you have an idea of what you want to see come out of your time as in whatever position you're in. I think thinking about um, what it is that you, what's the goal of what you want to see and why, um, and are, can you help steer the ship in the direction of the goal without very much actually being the person who has to drive everything? Um, one, because when we talk about students getting too engaged, sometimes as a leader, you really can't do everything. And so you need to be careful because you'll drive the ship you know, into the iceberg if you don't understand that being a true leader, letting other people step in and kind of have the conversation and you know, jump around before you make an actual decision is actually, it's good. You, you shouldn't be the only person making the decision. And I think um, unless it's a, a crunch time crisis situation, you know, you, you should definitely allow for other people to have that voice because you're gonna then need them if you're trying to move towards a goal, you're gonna need them to be engaged to get you to that goal. And so not allowing them to 
be there and give their thoughts is not going to behoove you in the end of the day. Um, but then sometimes there will be times that you have to make a decision that's not popular. There will be times that you have to make a decision that, um, you know, it might be against what other people want to say, or quite frankly, um, I think might make some people feel like they get, didn't get a say. And I think the biggest thing is making sure that, I mean, we want those things to be frequent or few and, and far between, but then you know, one thing that I think is important is sometimes being able to go back and explain why you had to do that without taking a lot of input. Um, and so I think when you have a large group, it's really not easy, right? You're, you're having to weigh between wanting those people who are there to feel like they're engaged, they're giving their time, um, and wanting to move in the direction that you want to go. But then at the end of the day, if you have to do that, go back around and think, do they understand why I made the decision that I'm making? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, a generally consensus building is, is a very good thing. Um, and that uh, basically should be the, the, the mode, is to try and, you know, be in that space um, when you're working with a team, a group of people and stuff. But there are just times where decisions need to be made, um, whether it's because of a timely situation, an emergency, um, you know, a direction from someone else that's telling you something. And you have to make those decisions. There, there are times where those decisions are not popular. Um, and you know, I have six, 15 direct reports, and I can tell you that on any given day, they all don't agree with each other, and they all don't agree with me, right? It's a rare moment when that happens. Yet, um, we have managed to find ways to make decisions collectively, uh, and then there are times where I, as the person leading the group have to just make a decision like this this is how we're going to do this um, and you know I, I over time what you have to do is you have to be able to to build a kind of armor in the fact that you know people are going to respond to that people are not going to be happy people are going to challenge it hopefully appropriately that's all fine um, you ha you should go back and try to explain it uh, but you know true leaders, have to make tough choices and tough decisions sometimes. Um, but I would say again, the majority of these should be in a, in a space of consensus building and kind of common understanding of the direction, the goals, and what we're trying to accomplish here. One thing I want to add to that too, I think um, a, a true leader is thinking about when they're leading of a large group when you're having to figure out what you're doing. And large can be 15 direct reports. That is large, depending on what you're doing, right? Um, the other thing that you would think is important, and I think you know, working in healthcare in the middle of a pandemic, we could have a whole talk about what that looks like, right? But at the end of the day, if the person on top falls off, you don't want the whole thing to fall apart. And as a leader, right. if you're the person on top and suddenly something happens or you can't do something and the rest of the group would not be able to function without you, you probably have not been doing what you really wanted to do, which was making sure they were engaged enough that if suddenly you needed to step back or step aside, or even if you needed to step up and do something different, um, that you need them to be able to step up and get things done. And I think sometimes in getting people engaged in a group and getting people to have discussion and agree or disagree, you'll start to see the people who will emerge as those who, when you need to make a crunch time decision, can jump in and help if the leader has to step up or step aside. See, the other thing I'll say is just that, um, you know, uh, an example would be anything that happens with student government, say, in any given academic year. If something goes down, something is being challenged, something the students are reacting to that's involving student government, 
the person that's going to be called is the president, the SGA president. Regardless of what level it happened and who was it, that's the person that people have an expectation in terms of understanding, explaining what happened, you know, all of that. And see, so when you're at the top like that, you're the one that's going to get the call. And that's an important piece to kind of get the others and the membership to understand is that I'm going to have to take responsibility for this and be able to explain things. And so it's important for this kind of open dialogue uh, to happen. And if, you know, I always say to my staff, they'll tell you, no surprises. Right? If something happens, you, you just tell me. I can hear anything, I'll accept, but no surprises. I don't want to hear it from somebody else because if the phone call comes, I'm the one that's going to have to explain and at least be able to say, I know about this. So that's an important part of being the leader. I agree. I think that's great advice. And I think it, at times it's difficult to decide between when you should delegate a task and when you should um, you know, make the decision for yourself. So that was really insightful as well. Um, I think my, my final question for right now, um, and this is going to be posed to both of you, but if you have maybe one of the one lesson that you've learned along the way as being a leader that you would like to share with the students, um, if you have any thoughts around that, feel free. Um, we can start with Jen. Or you start, oh, sorry, okay. I'm going to start? <laughs> yeah, you know what I would say is, look, I mean, you know, I'm at that point in my life in terms of career and age and stuff, you know, where I just want to, I want to say to all of you, kind of, don't imagine where you want to be tomorrow. Imagine where you want to be down the road. You know, it is very humbling to be sitting here with a current student, a former student, who I knew very well during her time here, who's sitting here now as a, an alum, a successful woman, uh, running a successful program. And so, the, you know, the, imagine that. Kind of imagine yourself in terms of success. Because if you first believe that you have that potential and can reach that place, Others and yourself will make it happen, but you first have to believe that, okay? And most of us don't, okay? I don't think I would have ever at my college age believed that I'd be sitting in this chair today. I mean, I, I just wanna say that, right? And most of us, when we start, we kind of, we're in that space of what feels like an imposter syndrome. Like, I'm doing this, but really, am I capable? Am I successful? Am I, do I have the right skills? Um, and that is true for anything new. When I first started running, I thought, oh my God, I'm not a runner, right? You know, I just, you know, but the more you do it, the more you realize, well, yeah, I am, right? And so you have to just kind of think beyond the moment, think beyond today, and really think, where do I want to end up? You know, what's the trajectory? And what's my end goal? And then really imagine yourself there. And you'll get there. You'll get there. Thank you. Thank you. All good advice. Um, I would say I'm, I'm a little bit closer in age to the current students. I'd like a little bit closer than Dean Stein, like just a, a list, very small amount. Um, I think, you know, after college and after being involved after college and then slowly not being involved anymore, I'm releasing myself. Um, you know, I, I, you're not going to be in college forever. 
I think it's the idea that I, I don't know. I think I don't, I don't think I ever really thought about like, what am I going to do when I truly walk out of the doors of Georgia Tech? Uh, the first days that I woke up and I was like, I don't have to answer any emails from the Institute. Um, you know, I think then it, it's twofold. You will have a time where you will leave Georgia Tech. You can get as many degrees as you want, but at one point you will leave and you have to decide what during your time do you want your, your hyphen of time at Georgia Tech to be? But then when you look back, also thinking, did I have a good time? Because I think that I often, when I'm talking to alum, when I'm thinking about being involved, you know, I will always say that being SGA president was fun. It was a good time. It was very tiring. Um, but you know, if I was not having a good time, I would not have done it. And I think that sometimes we get so engaged and so involved, and I will tell you that when you leave tech and you get into life, and when you're thinking about what you've done in your time at Georgia Tech and when you're involved, if you cannot turn back and speak on that with some sort of emotion, you're not doing the things that you should be doing. And that can be good and bad emotion. My year as president was up and down, and I always tell people that the year that I was president was when I learned that one of my favorite things at Georgia Tech was welcoming a yellow jacket to the family. Nothing gets me more excited or teared up than thinking about FACET and students who are coming and so excited to be part of the Tech family. And nothing tears me apart more than thinking about people who leave and who are no longer with us. And I think that, you know, I look back on that and learned so much, but I can speak about it with emotion because it really means something to me. Um, and I think for students, when you're thinking about engagement, whatever your engagement is, it has to mean something to you. And it's gonna, it needs to mean something to you down the road because when you become an alum, when you look back, you don't wanna show back up on campus and be like, well, I actually kinda hated this place. I mean, some of us will have some feelings about things that happened, but are you gonna come back and think, I was driving back on campus today and thought, man, I remember when we passed the, the bill to get the new student center built. And when I come back on campus and look and think like, that wasn't there when I was here, but I got to be somewhat instrumental in like trying to get us here. I mean, I get excited and it was tiring, but I would not have done it if I didn't want to. So when, they're gonna get, when you're gonna get engaged, do that. And then the other thing I would say, I mean, I am a person who loves people, even though I'm an introvert, I, I truly, want someone to walk away from an interaction with me unless you're rude to me and that's a different conversation we can have. But even then, I'll kill it with kindness. I want you to walk away and think that that person truly felt like I had some sort of small amount of purpose standing in front of them. And I think when you're thinking about being a leader, if you're being a leader for that to mean something about you rather than for you, I need you to think about why you're being a leader because no one's gonna come around and say thank you and if you don't get one, are you gonna be upset? And I think that when you're thinking about being a leader, you need to think about the fact that there'll be many thankless days. But if you wanna thank you, there are many other things we can invite you to do besides being a leader. Um, and I think that a lot of students, you get a little hesitant. You're like, I wanna do this, it'll be fun. It will be fun. But make sure that at the end of it, when you walk out of the doors of Georgia Tech, you remember, you have a whole life after this. Is it gonna mean something when you walk out of those doors? Near the end of each of the four sessions, we got a chance to take additional questions from the audience. Here's Sarah again to transition into some additional thoughts with our guest to close out the episode. I think something that got spoken 
toward a few times during the conversation today was this idea of figuring out what are your strengths? What are those things that you are just sort of passionate about and locked into and that feels super innate? And we here on campus spend a lot of time talking about strengths and how we might foster those. I think there's also the philosophy of we need to figure out what we're not good at and fix it um, to make that better and make those parts of us stronger as well. And there's certainly a balance. So I'm curious if either of you would speak toward how do you sort of reconcile that balance? How, what, where might your tendencies lie? Are you more inclined to think about strengths and how to work on those? Are you more inclined to think about what am I not so great at and how do I build that up? And how might our current students and, and new leaders think about that for themselves as well? Whoever wants to start. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 you know, here's what I'll say is that I think that um, that comes to the forefront any time there's a change in leadership. See, any time that you are dealing with someone who ha is new and has a different set of expectations or a different way of thinking about something, you're, you're back into that space of understanding your strengths and those areas that you still need to work on um, and hone and stuff. And, and that's, in my career, that's when I have felt it most. When you're with kind of consistent leadership, you don't really feel it as much. But in those times of change, and honestly, those times of change are not easy. They're, they're challenging, but they're also the most growth producing, quite frankly. Um, and it, it is a good moment to kind of, you know, reevaluate and understand. The other thing is that um, on an annual basis with annual performances, I mean, I'm always asking the staff for feedback. You know, what, are you, what do you need to tell me? What should I be doing differently? Um, you know, what skills should I still be working? You have to kind of solicit that from the people that you're supervising and you're working with to just continue to grow and help and understand for yourself. Yeah, I'd 100% agree with that. I think um, I can't see if Dr. Stevens is somewhere in here or G's somewhere in here. Oh, I see you waving. Yeah, we did so much work as a student of doing Clifton Shrinks Finders and Myers-Briggs and True Colors and all those things. And I think one of the things I love about that is when you think about your strengths is also then how you relate to other people, right? And so I think when you talk about a change in leadership, it's so fascinating as a leader to begin working with a different leader and learning and understanding their strengths, but also learning and understanding their weaknesses, right? Because then you have to learn how to work with both. You don't get to just work with one. And I think as a leader, asking for that feedback is so critical. And then also knowing when you're in a group, how do you find people who have strengths where you have weaknesses? And then as an individual, how do you get feedback to, to grow um, where there is opportunity? Let, let me just add one more thing. I think in t if you're building a team, uh, what you want to do is you want to build people, you want to choose people that uh, complement you, but also add to things that you, you don't necessarily yourself. So, you know, you can't, you can have a whole team of introverts, but it probably would not be the best thing, right? So to have a balance of things, I think is important. And again, that means that you have some understanding of yourself, so you know what, trying, what you're trying to bring in to uh, enhance the group even more. Thank you so much. Um, the other question or maybe thought I was curious if y'all wanted to add to was, obviously right now we, we are in a climate and really for the past year 
plus. We've been in a climate that is challenging for so many people in so many ways. And um, we have students who are joining us on campus or virtually who are having to navigate being a tech student plus maybe being a leader, whether through formal position or through involvement plus thinking about health and family and identity and all of these various things, what is a thought you might share with students about how to best take care of themselves right now and amongst everything that's going on? I, I can't reiterate enough the self-care and the idea of taking a day off. I mean, I, th I think that, um, I think these current students are in Gen Z, I really have no clue. Okay, um, and you know, I think that Gen Z is much better than millennials at, at choosing to do self-care and take that time, but my gosh, I mean, in this last year, I, we can't go anywhere anyway, so if you just wanna be in the house and not do anything, be in the house and not do anything. And I think as a leader, you know, I don't know why we all feel like we had to get everything done every day. I always wanted my emails to be like down to zero by 2 a.m., and 2 a.m. was my cutoff. If you don't answer that email, like, They'll follow up with you tomorrow. And I think students, it's, it's difficult. I will also say, though, in the trying to engage, right, pick up the phone, which I know is very difficult. I really don't like talking on the phone at all unless it's my mom. Um, but there's power in hearing somebody else's voice, and there's power in talking to someone and just checking in and making sure things are working. And also, it gives you a little, a little bit of time. I think um, Brielle, the, the student body president now, I was talking to her one day, and we talked about how difficult it is to form a relationship that is not professional like and when I say not professional I mean like a like a friendship okay like a working friendship um, it's very hard to do that when you can't see them in person if I only saw you over a video it's it's difficult but um, learn to talk to somebody when you're not right there with them and engage and ask questions and have a conversation that allows for some colloquial just like friendship to grow and it doesn't have to be like friendship like we're besties. It just it can be acquaintanceship, um, but acquaintanceship doesn't just happen because we happen to be in the same organization. So, but then the self-care is key. Read a book. And it doesn't have to be a book on whatever is going on right now. It could be a book about anything. So I think one of the challenging pieces right now is that any time a, a word or a term becomes so socialized, we say it as if we believe everybody knows what that is. And, and I'm convinced that people and students don't know what self-care is. I mean, honestly. I mean, generally they do, but, you know, they say that and, like, it's, well, what do I do, right? Like, and so I think more the way that I think about it is that, you know, in this moment, it's very important to remain connected, right, to whatever group or individual, but to, to have a sense of connection to others is extremely important right now for all of us. We can't be in isolation. The other is to have a sense of what brings you peace, what brings you a sense of calm, you know, whether that's an activity or, um, you know, taking a walk in the, whatever it is, but you have to explore that and understand it. You know, what brings you joy? What makes you feel good? And, and that varies for all of us in terms of, you know, what makes us feel good, right? And then it's just basic stuff. You know, am I getting enough sleep? Am I properly eating? You know, those are the kinds of basic things that if we were to really be 
aware of those things and work on them, I think we would be practicing self-care in a way that would help us in this moment and even beyond. Because you see, the wonderful thing about all these lessons that we're learning now, they're still very much applicable beyond this moment. And I hope, I really hope we can all hold on to them because we've learned a lot and, and it's not all been bad actually, so. Yeah, let's stay on that for a minute. Because I think saying that students don't always know what self-care means is maybe the understatement of 2021 so far. I mean, I remember being a student at Tech, and I remember leaders and, and you know, those who were in charge, them take a break. And you'd be like, okay. And taking a break was like, today, I'll only check 30 emails. Or like, today, I'll just do my homework instead of checking emails. And I, I think that it's, it's difficult because I recognize that at a school like Georgia Tech, you have deadlines, you have things you need to do. But I really do think it's difficult for someone to think about what does self-care look like and that meaning like taking care of yourself i think it also means like pushing yourself to do the things that are going to be taking care of yourself even when you don't want to right so like sometimes particularly in the last year there would be a day where i would be like i don't know when the last time i showered was but i know that like i need to go do that and i also need to go like step outside for a moment and like get some fresh air, drink some water. If I could say anything that I've learned in my years of living, particularly in the last couple, is like drink some water. It's really gonna make you feel better. Um, and I think the other thing is sometimes the things that you need to do to take care of yourself are going to be hard to do and you have to find a way to do them anyways. Um, some of that being like sometimes I'm like, I'm gonna call my therapist because we need to find time to talk. Um, and sometimes it's gonna be, I feel like I'm being a burden to a friend, but I need to say like, hi, can we go sit in a park six feet apart and talk about whatever? Or I need to go on a run and I don't wanna do that right now, but I know that's something I really need. Um, learning what makes us happy and what also makes us get to that place of somewhat okay is very critical. And then learning how to push ourselves to put ourselves first, because yeah. um, it's, much harder than I think any of us think it would be. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think when you're in a moment when there's such a long list of things you can't do, you have to remind yourself of things that you can still do, okay? Uh, and keep reminding yourself of that. And, sorry, and adding <laughs> on this, I think just thinking about the things, and sorry, then I'll stop, the yeah. things that like make us happy, I think one thing that was a little bit of like a, you know, when you have those questions that you don't wanna ask yourself because you're gonna break down, what makes you happy or like what helps you find joy can be a very difficult question to approach and yeah. make you feel very vulnerable and make you feel very like, I had a moment where I was like, maybe there's nothing that I find that makes me happy, which is not true. But if you were to ask yourself that and you don't know, like maybe some of your self care is like spending time thinking about what makes you happy. And I think um, particularly remembering the people in life who like really love you and appreciate you um, sometimes are the things you have to remember are the things that you can do right now and that list of the things that you can't do. And one thing that I have been doing as self-care sometimes during this pandemic that I love is like calling my granny, um, which like I love my granny and I can talk to her anytime, but like she knows that sometimes I just like wanna call and talk to someone about not a pandemic that's mm -hmm. going on. Um, and deciding that that's something that, you know, you need to do and is going to be good to do and particularly the people who know you right and who can pick up when maybe you're not happy or you're not doing those things um so important just so important so
I do want to note that in this moment, just last thing, I do want to know, in this moment, it's been very interesting over the past year to see how many alum, how many graduates of Georgia Tech have reached back uh, to me and, and connected. And you know, that to me says that there was a reason that they needed to connect with someone who they had a history with and someone who knows them and you know they want reassurance and and I think that's kind of an important piece whether it's granny or you know the dean or somebody but but yes I think that's a very important piece so Y'all are the stars of the show. You speak as long as you want. <laughs> well, I do appreciate that reflection. I think self-care and and balance or whatever that means right now is so personal and so different for everyone. So I really appreciate those reflections that you shared. Let's transition into any closing kind of thoughts or remarks that you would want to end our time together with today. Whoever wants to go first. Well, let me just say, I think, well, first of all, I want to thank the students who have taken time out of their busy Saturday on, uh, you know, the first week of classes to spend this time. This is a very important time, and, and I know you're very busy, uh, but I really do appreciate you, you know, your efforts and, and willingness to do this. Um, you know, Georgia Tech is a wonderful, wonderful place, and we have wonderful students, and we have wonderful opportunities. And, you know, during your time here, I hope you explore those opportunities. I hope you continue to find ways to grow as, as an individual, as a leader, uh, as a follower, okay? And I hope that, you know, we help you find your path, find your future, find your career, and find those things in life that are really gonna make you feel fulfilled and accomplished. Um, because that's, that's really what college should be about along with earning your degree, okay? And so keep doing the work, keep making the connections, and keep forging forward. Um, thank you. Yeah, I'll echo the thank you. I definitely know what it's like in that first couple of weeks trying to get organized and ready for a semester, and I cannot imagine going to school virtually or a hybrid or whatever it is you guys are doing right now. Um, so echoing that, thank you for taking the time. Um, I guess I have to give the like very classic alumni response of um, just cherishing that time at Georgia Tech. I think, you know, on my way down here, flying down the highway at a reasonable speed, um, you know, I just, Jerome knew that if he called me and said, will you come and do this thing that I was gonna say yes, well, how am I gonna say no? I think when you're involved, you just find, you know, you see the good and bad parts of Georgia Tech. You see some parts of Georgia Tech that you're like, mm, didn't think that existed. But I mean, just soak in those moments. And I think really, um, as an alum, like anytime that I'm asked to come back, I'm very excited and always willing to say yes. Um, and I also think it's just a, I cannot imagine having gone anywhere else. And not everyone has the same kind of love for Georgia Tech as me, but I think whatever it is that students are involved in, just like, man, find what it is that makes you fall in love with it and makes you fall in love with tech and keep pursuing that. And, and that's why I always say sometimes like the things that made me fall in love with tech aren't, it wasn't always student government. My favorite moment that I remember is being in marching band and the first time that we formed the T on the field before a game, like you wanna get a girl crying and talk to me about pregame. That's what it is. You'll find me at any sporting event because I love it so much. And I think when you're engaged, I mean, 
find ways to be engaged outside of an organization and find ways to continue to get engaged with Georgia Tech so that you can fall in love with her more and make her better. There's nothing more important than um, pushing a place that you choose to be involved in to be a better version of itself. So have fun with it though, because college was really short when I look back. Mm -hmm. And thank you, Sydney, yes. for doing such thank a great job. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the final session of our Engaged Symposium speaker series. And special thanks to our guests of this session, Jen Abrams and Dean Stein. All of these sessions are already available on the Center for Student Engagement's Facebook page and will be linked in the description of the episode for you to share. If you're new here, be sure to check out some of our other episodes from weeks prior and subscribe on anywhere you get your podcasts to make sure that you're up to date with our bi-weekly episodes. That's all from us this time, so thanks so much for listening to another episode of Movement, and I'll see you soon with a special episode for Black History Month. The views expressed by guests on the Movement's podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not express or may not be the views of Georgia Tech.